We're going to take the opportunity now to uh, come to God in prayer. There are a number of things for us to pray for. Uh, we've already remembered that it's uh, Mothering Sunday today, and um, as we see all the young people leave, it's um, great to remember that their part in our life here, and um, the great role that many mothers here play in their lives, and so we will pray for, for mothers this morning. Also, of course, in the news has been Norman Kemba, and we prayed for him over a number of weeks, and we give thanks to God today for his release. But we will also remember as well um, Abdul Rahman, the, um, pers- the former Muslim who has become a Christian and is now imprisoned in Afghanistan. And um, remember again, if you haven't signed it yet, if Alan's not caught you, there is the, uh, uh, the petition at the back of the church for persecuted Christians in Eritrea who have been imprisoned as well. So if you would like to sign that, please do so uh, as a mark of saying we stand against people who are persecuted for their beliefs. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks today that as we meet, we know that our prayers of recent weeks have been heard. We give you thanks for the safe release of Norman Kemba and James Loney and Harmit Singh Sudan. Thank you, Lord, that they will be restored to their families once more. We remember too Tom Fox and his family and his friends still coming to terms with his death through being held hostage. Lord, we remember the people of Iraq at this time as there has been an increased amount of violence again this week. Lord, we remember all those who are suffering at this time in that place. And Lord, we continue to pray for peace for that land. As our newspapers and television headlines keep sharing with us the destruction and the devastation that is happening there, we hold out hope that you will bring peace in that place. And Father, we pray too this morning again for all who seek to show their faith and will not let it waver in the face of great difficulties. We thank you for Abdul Rahman and that he has come to know you. But we pray for him and for others who are imprisoned unjustly for their faith. Lord, may they know that they are part of the Christian family and we are holding them up in prayer. Give them strength, we pray, this day to face all that they have to face. Lord, soften the hearts, we pray for those who are responsible for their unjust situations. Move them, we ask, that their freedom would be restored and that persecution would be reduced and brought to an end. 
we hold these people before you this morning. And Lord, too, on this Mothering Sunday, we thank you for all mothers. We pray particularly for those who find this day difficult, for those who have lost their mother, for those who have never known the love of a mother, for those who have strained relationships with their mother. Lord, we pray that you would come alongside them and that they would know your presence with them this day in their sadness. Father, we thank you too for those of us who have had the privilege of knowing a mother's love. We thank you for all that they have contributed to our lives. And we pray for the mothers here in this place that they would continue to be able to show their love and reveal you through the lives that they lead and through the influence that they have on their children. Bless them, we pray, today. And Father, at this time as well, we remember those known to us who are in particular need at this time. We name them before you now. In particular, within our fellowship, we remember those who are in hospital. We think of Sue. We think of Vi, just out of hospital. And thank you for her coming out, and, and for Peter as well, and for being restored to us this morning. Lord, we hold these people before you, trusting in your love, in your care. And as we offer these, our prayers to you, we join together in sharing the words that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we were praying then, I, I forgot to say as well, Dee Wellen is in hospital at the minute as well, so we, we lift her up to God in our prayers as well. Today, we continue in our journey of the 40 days of purpose. We have been taking this opportunity during Lent, to stop and to reflect and to evaluate what our faith means to us about how it affects the purposes of our lives. So far, we have asked the question, what on earth am I here for? And we've answered that by saying, if we want to know why we are here, we need to look at the creator, 
the one who has made us, and ask him what the purpose is for our lives. And he has made us to live in union with him. He first loved us. And so having accepted that, we've asked ourselves the question, how do we respond to this love? And we've looked at worship. Our response to God's love is by saying we offer him our worship to say that we love him back. And that's not just what we do here on a Sunday, although it includes that. That's what we do every day of our lives, our worship offered to God. Then last week we looked at fellowship and said that God has not made us in isolation, but has made us as part of his family. And that we need to belong to the church family and share our lives with other Christians in order to fully, more fully understand our purpose. And today we continue in our journey as we recognise that we have been created to become like Christ. We are to grow more mature. We are to grow up in Christ, knowing him in everything, seeking him in all that we do. So today we're going to think more about what that means for us to become more like Christ. And we're going to hear a reading now from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, reading verses 5 to 11, telling us something about the attitude that we should have. And Tracy is going to read that for us. Philippians chapter 2, reading verses 5 to 11. If you wish to follow it in the Pew Bibles, you can find it on page 248. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. He always had the nature of God. But he did not think that by force he should try to become equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like man and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. For this reason, God raised him to the highest place above and gave him the name that is greater than any other name. And so, in honour of the name of Jesus, all beings in heaven, on earth and in the world below, will fall on their knees, and all will openly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Of course, we have been created to become like Christ, but that means that we need to change. And as we come to reflect on this passage, we're going to sing again, Jesus, you are changing me.
Father God, we pray that you would help us to be open to your word this morning. We pray that you would transform us and change us to become more like Christ. And we pray this morning that as we think more on this passage, you will reveal more to us of what that means in our daily lives. May those words be true for each of us, that you are transforming and changing us today. Amen. Frank Abagnale grew up in the 1960s in the United States. He loved his dad very much indeed, but unfortunately his parents split up. And his dad uh, was in trouble with the tax authorities. He ran away. And while he was away, he ran away with just $25 in his check account. And he started to write some checks, but discovered that nobody would cash them because he didn't look quite right. So he became determined to change the way he looked. And we're going to watch a couple of minutes of a film from Catch Me If You Can about his life, which shows how he responded to that. You betcha. You be a pilot? There you go. Work hard in school. Dear Dad, I have decided to become an airline pilot. I have applied to all the big airlines and I have several promising interviews lined up. How's mom? Have you called her lately? Love your son, Frank. Hello. I'm Frank Black from Monroe High School, and I have an appointment with Mr. Morgan. You're the young man who's writing the article for the school paper. Yes, ma'am, that's me. I want to know everything there is to know about being a pilot. <laughs> what airports does Pan Am fly to? Uh, what does a pilot make in the end? Who tells them where they're going to fly to? Whoa, 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 I'll just take them one at a time. All right. What does it mean when one pilot says to another pilot, what kind of equipment are you on? Well, I just want to know what kind of aircraft you're flying. Is the DC-8, 707, Constellation? And, and what about those ID badges that I've uh, seen pilots wear? Well, every pilot has to have two things with him at all times. One is his airline personnel badge. Looks just like this one here from Pan Am. The other one is their FAA license. And that looks just like this. Oh. Gee, do you think I can make a copy of this to put into my article? Oh, Frank. You can have that one. It's three years expired. Oh, thanks. And what about your ID badge? Do you have an extra one I could borrow? Oh, no, I can't help you there. It's a special order from Polaroid. The only way to get one of those is to become a real live pilot for Pan American Airways. Pan Am, may I help you? Yeah, hello, I'm calling about a uniform. Hold for purchasing. Thank you. Purchasing. Um, I'm a co-pilot based out of San Francisco. I flew a flight into New York last night, but the problem is I'm headed out to uh, Paris in three hours. How can we help you? I sent my uniform to be cleaned through the hotel, and I, I guess they must have lost it. They lost a uniform. Happens all the time. Go down to the well-built uniform company at 9th and Broadway. They are uniform supplier. I'll tell Mr. Rosen you're coming. You look too young to be a pilot. I'm a co-pilot. 
Why so nervous? How'd you feel if you uh, lost your uniform first week on the job? <laughs> Relax. Uh, Pan Am's got lots of uniforms. It's going to be $164. Great. I'll, uh, I'll write you a check. Uh, sorry, uh, no checks, no cash. Uh, you'll have to fill in your employee ID number, and then I'll bill Pan Am. I'll take it out in your next paycheck. Even better. Dear Dad, you always told me that an honest man has nothing to fear, so I'm trying my best not to be afraid. I'm sorry I ran away, but you don't have to worry. I'm going to get it all back now, Daddy. I promise. I'm going to get it all back. Are you realized, Tyler? I sure am, little lady. What's your name? Selene, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. And so we begin to see the transformation of Frank. Somebody who was just out of school. He was about 19 when this happened. And um, realizes that he needs to become somebody that people will trust if he's going to get on. Over the next three or four years, he ends up uh, getting checks worth $4 million dollars. Uh, that he forges uh, and is eventually caught. But what he does in the situation is he sees somebody he wants to be like. He researches what that means. And then he lives the life and makes sure he looks the part. So we see him in the film becoming a pilot. But then a little bit later, he doesn't just become a pilot, he decides to become a doctor as well. Again, he finds out a little bit about it and ends up working in a hospital. And then he becomes an attorney. Again, he finds out something about it, but pretends that that's what he is and carries out some work and starts defending someone. All the time, finding out what it involves, acting the part, dressing the part, living the life. You and I have been created to become like Christ. That's what our purpose in life is. One of our purposes, to become more like Christ. We have to make a decision about who it is we want to look like. We can decide that we're quite happy to look like other people in the world who have no faith. Or we can decide that what we're going to look like is we're going to look like Jesus Christ. We have that decision to make. And if we do, we need to find out what that involves and then live the life. That's what Paul tells us to do here. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. In other words, he's saying, look to Christ, look at what his attitude is and become like him. That's the decision we need to make. Are we going to look at the attitude that Christ had and seek to become like him? And Paul tells us the attitude that Jesus had through talking about his act of redemption on the cross. And in the next verses, we read this. He always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to become equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like man and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. 
the attitude we should have is like the one of Christ Jesus, who came as God to live in this world fully human. And in aiming to become more like Christ, we are not trying to deny our humanity. We're not trying to become less human. We're trying to discover life in the fullness that God intended for us to enjoy. You and I have been created to become like Christ. But what does it mean then to have an attitude like Christ? Well, there are a few things that I'm going to suggest this morning that come out from the passage. As we look at this, we're going to think about some of the episodes in Jesus' life that we particularly remember at this time of year and see the attitude that that means that we should have. The first one is to be selfless. He, Jesus Christ, always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to become equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. Jesus gave up everything that he had and took the nature of a servant. Illustration of when he did that in his life, something we remember around this time of year, recorded in John chapter 13, the incident of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. As people walked along the dusty roads, their feet would become filthy. And when somebody was entertained in a house, the job of the lowliest servant was to come and wash the guest's feet. Jesus, the Son of God. (coughs) Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnate one, came and washed the feet of the disciples. He took on the role of the lowest servant. He gave up everything that he had in order to fulfill the purposes of God. And there are some questions that we need to ask ourselves around this. Are we willing to give up getting on? You see, everything in the world, in the culture, tells us we've got to get on. We've got to get promotion. We've got to make a success of our lives. We've got to be people with power, with status. And Jesus gave up his status, gave up his power, and took on the role of the lowliest servant in order to do what God wanted. He was willing to give up getting on, to be the one who would be esteemed in order to fulfill the purposes of God. Are we willing to do that? The cross, by all human standards, was a failure. For somebody to end up in that position of being crucified was not a sign of success. It was a sign of complete human failure. And yet Jesus took that upon himself, emptying himself of all that he was in order to fulfill the purposes of God that we might be a forgiven people, that our sins would no longer keep us from God, that we are made right through what Jesus Christ has done, through his supreme sacrifice, so that we can have a relationship with God. 
Are we willing to give up getting on? We live in a world which tells us we need to accumulate more and more. The more we have, the better off we are, the happier we will be. Jesus came from heaven. He always had the nature of God, but did not seek to become equal with God. Instead, he gave up all that he had. The attitude of Jesus in his selflessness was not to hold on to what he had got, but to give everything for God, to give up everything. Are we people who, if we're called to do this by God, are willing to fulfill that purpose of not accumulating, not hanging on to what we've got that we might think is important, but to give it all up in order for Christ's sake, in order for God's purposes to be fulfilled. (coughs) We live in a world of rights where we know how we should be treated, where if we're not, then we complain. We can write letters, we can sue, we can do all sorts of things. Jesus had the right to be worshipped. Jesus had the right to be treated so much better than he was. Jesus committed no crime and yet was put to death. He gave up his rights in order that the responsibility that he had for the whole of the human race might be fulfilled. Are we willing to give up our rights as human beings for the gospel of Christ? We've prayed for Abdul Rahman, somebody who is willing to give up his human rights for freedom in order that his faith will not be compromised. There are Christians throughout the world who are doing this, giving up their rights in order that Christ's purposes might be fulfilled. You and I have, become, have been created to become like Christ. Are we willing to give up our rights? It may not be rights to freedom. We may not be imprisoned like others are. But are we willing to give up our rights? The comforts that we enjoy, are we willing to give those up if it leads to God's purposes being fulfilled? Are we willing to give up the things that we might feel are important? Jobs. Friends. Whatever it is. Are we willing to give up those if it's to fulfill God's purposes? Are we selfless as Christ was selfless? If we're to have an attitude like Christ, if we're going to become more like Christ, (coughs) we need to do all that it means to become more selfless and less selfish. Second thing, resist temptation. He became like man and appeared in human likeness. The fact that Jesus became like man means that he undergoes everything that we undergo. And of course we read of Jesus being tempted in the desert, something else that is often reflected on during this period of Lent. You can read it in any of the synoptic gospels. But notice where it comes. Just after Jesus' baptism and before his public ministry fully begins, 
Jesus went into the desert and he had to work out what his ministry was going to mean. How was he going to carry it out? Was he going to be somebody who would simply seek to fulfill the needs of man? Would he turn stones into bread to meet physical needs? That must have been an appealing prospect to meet all the needs that he could see, to meet all the physical needs that he could see. But he knew his purpose was to meet people's spiritual needs. Man shall not live by bread alone. Was he going to have a ministry that would involve great, amazing things that would astound people and hope that people would listen to his message after that? Would he throw himself down off the temple that the angels might catch him? Would he do amazing deeds? No, because he knew that people would just look for more and more amazing deeds and they would forget about his message. Was he going to seek after things of this world, power and status? No, because to do that would have been to worship the devil. And Jesus knew that he should worship the Lord, the God alone, the Lord, his God alone. He was tempted, but was without sin. Jesus understands what it is to be tempted to go away from God's will. But unlike us, he was perfect and always resisted temptation. And there are a few things I think we can learn from this. First of all, temptation is not a sin. The fact that we might want to do things that are not Christian is not a sin in itself. Because if it had been, Jesus would have been guilty of sin, but we know Jesus was sinless. So being tempted is not a sin. We won't grow out of being tempted either. As I talk about becoming more like Christ, this isn't a case of as we grow to maturity, we will stop being tempted by things that are not of God. We will always be tempted. We won't grow out of it. And we're all tempted by things that we will feel ashamed of. That's the nature of temptation. It's things that we know are not right before God, but feel very appealing to us. And as I was looking through all this and thinking, yes, if we are to become more like Christ, we need to resist temptation. We cannot follow the Oscar Wilde principle in that well-known quote of his, I can resist everything except temptation. We are people who are called to resist temptation. And it made me wonder as I was thinking about this, how often do we ever share our temptations with other people? You know, it's surprising really because, you know, temptation in itself is not a sin. We're all tempted. We never grow out of temptation, but we don't talk about it. I wonder how many people there are who have fallen, who would not have fallen had they shared their temptation. I wonder how many people have been involved in irregular financial practices who, when tempted, if had said to somebody, I'm tempted by this, would have not fallen. I wonder how many people there are who have been involved in extramarital affairs, who, if they had shared their temptation with somebody, would not have fallen. I'm not suggesting we should go around announcing this to everyone. But the reality is, all of us are tempted. We never grow out of being tempted. Temptation is not a sin. And maybe each of us needs somebody who we can share with, who we can be accountable to, 
So that when we are struggling against temptation, there is somebody who will ask us the hard questions and say, are you keeping on resisting temptation? Maybe we need to share so that there are people who will pray for us that we might have strength to resist temptation. Paul writes in the letter to the Corinthians that God will always give us a way out. We will never be tempted to such an extent that we find no way out. While we don't grow out of being tempted, where we do grow more like Christ is in being better able to deal with it. As we become more mature, we will fall less because we will recognize the signs and we will do something about it to stop ourselves falling into temptation. But it's not easy. We have to work at it. And if we want to become more like Christ, we need to be determined to resist temptation because there's a fundamental question here. And that's this. Who do we love more? Or what do we love more? Do we love our relationship with God or the thing that's tempting us? You know, if we're tempted by an irregular, irregular financial practice, do we love money more than God? If we're tempted by a wrong relationship, do we love that person more than we love God? What do we love more? God or the thing that tempts us? Are we willing to work at resisting temptation? God loves you and me. We respond to that love. Our response to that love, a part of it, is to say, I will work at resisting temptation. Thirdly, to trust God. He was humble and walked the path of obedience <coughs> all the way to death, his death on the cross. Jesus was obedient. And don't for one minute think that obedience was easy. Read Matthew 26, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read of the struggles that he had as the cross approached. He took his disciples away to pray with him because he was in such anguish. They fell asleep, but he kept praying and prayed, Lord, my, my father, I know you can take away this cup of suffering. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In the midst of his anguish, in the midst of his fear of the pain of the cross, Jesus was willing to pray, not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to trust in God. He was willing to trust in God. Are we able to trust God when we are going through difficulties, when we are in pain? Are we able to continue to obey him even when it makes our lives more difficult? I want to begin to bring us to a close by thinking of the eagle. The eagle is an interesting animal. It, um, what it does is it, uh, it builds a nest out of thorns and briars. And uh, then it covers it in animal skin to stop the, uh, the thorns and the briars from being a very uncomfortable nest. And um, when it gives birth to the eaglets, uh, the mother goes and flies off and brings them back food. And they're in a nice, warm, comfortable environment. And this goes on as they grow until one day the mother decides it's time for them to learn to fly. But of course, the, the eaglets are not that keen. You know, they've got food. They've got a nice warm place to be. Why should they want to fly? 
So what the mother does is she pulls away the animal skin that's protecting them from the thorns and the briars, and it suddenly becomes an uncomfortable place to be. And they climb up on the mother, who then takes off and flies off to a great height. And when she's up there, she drops the eaglet. I assume she doesn't drop them all at once, but she drops one, and it falls, and the natural response is for it to flap its wings. But it fails, probably. And so as it is plummeting down to the earth, it's flapping its wings and nothing is happening, and then the mother flies down and pulls it back up again. It has to go through that process in order to grow, in order to fulfill what its purpose is in life. Sometimes our lives can feel like we're being dropped from a great height. It feels like we're flapping around and nothing is happening. We wonder what has happened to the comfort that we once knew. But we can have trust in God that he will not let us fall to the ground. That he is with us and he will come down and will lift us up. Are we willing to trust God in that no matter how difficult our lives are? Are we able to trust God when we're going through the difficulties and and pain? Are we able to continue to obey him even when that obedience is going to make our lives more difficult? Jesus was. That's what we read of in the gospel stories. That's what Paul says our attitude should be like, like Christ Jesus, who was able to trust God and be obedient to him even through his difficulties, even through the cross. And look at what ended up happening. For this reason, for his obedience, for his perfectness, God raised him up to the highest place above and gave him the name that is greater than any other name. And so in honor of the name of Jesus, all beings in heaven, on earth, and in the world below will fall on their knees and all will openly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Through all this, through living the perfect life, Jesus has been raised and is exalted. As we seek to become more like Christ, we hold on to that promise of what is to come. Of being with God for all eternity. For being with God in heaven. For knowing that this life isn't it. There is more to come. Are we willing to trust God for all of that as we seek to become more like Christ? And so I just ask this question as we finish. What are you going to do this week to become more like Christ? What decision are you going to make now to actually begin to achieve the attitude of Christ Jesus? Maybe you need to find out more about him. Maybe it's reading the Bible. Maybe it's about an act of saying, I will share more of my life with, with people so that they will help me to resist temptation, so that they will help me become more selfless, so that they will help me trust more in God. But what are you going to do this week, practically, to become more like Christ? Because that's the challenge for each of us if we want to discover the true purpose of our lives. Become more like Christ. What are we going to do this week? Let's take a moment of quiet just to reflect 
and to pray to God. Almighty God, in love you have made us, and you long for us to respond to that love. Forgive us, we pray, when we fail to respond to your great love for us. Help us now, we ask, to be determined to respond to you, to reach out to you, the one who has reached out to us. Help us, we pray, to become more like Christ. We offer our prayers in the name of the Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to begin to close our service by singing, O loving Lord, you are forever seeking. And if we look at the words, particularly of the first verse, this is a, an act of response for us. O loving Lord, you are forever seeking those of your mind intent to do your will, strong in your strength, your power and grace for speaking, faithful to you through good report and ill. May God help us to do that. And as we sing it, the young people are going to return to us. And in a minute, I think they're going to be, as we finish singing that, they're going to be handing out some flowers to people. Let's stand and sing together.
please be seated. And the young people are going to start bringing in the flowers, I hope, if I catch their eyes or if... Um... Thank you, Andy. There are plenty of flowers, so do make sure you get some. Let's just sing through that chorus, All Things Bright and Beautiful, and then we'll close in a moment. So let's stand and sing All Things Bright and Beautiful as the flowers are continue to be given out. All things bright. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and those that you love this day and forever. Amen.